Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome everyone to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. On today's show, our guest is Ty McKinney, a singer, songwriter, and music industry professional from Atlanta, Georgia. An Atlanta native, Ty has been singing since the age of six years old, and since then, music has been the center of his life. Ty started writing music and uploading songs to SoundCloud and covers on YouTube. Inspired to turn his passion into action in 2016, Ty moved to New York City to pursue his singing career and enrolled in New York University's music business program. Ty, welcome to the show. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good to good to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I love that intro. I, I feel very uh, affirmed <laughs> in that intro. <laughs> yes, yes. And and thank you for the encouragement and affirmation. It's all positive vibes over here. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Ty, I've known you for a couple of years. Always appreciate it. Enjoyed your energy. And I'm excited to talk to you today. Yes, me too. All right, let's get into it. So first question, a uh, question I like to start with all my guests. Tell me about your journey to the NYU Music Business Program. How'd you find out about it? How'd you get there? Gotcha. Well, it's, it, I like to say it's kind of like um, the movie uh, Post-Grad. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No, it's, I've never um, seen that movie. Yeah, it's uh, it stars Alexis Bedell from the Gilmore Girls and Michael Keaton that plays her dad. I've, um, I've heard of both of those actors. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, a nice little uh, like I wouldn't say indie movie, but it was just kind of like a you know little low key rom com. But it, it was basically about the post grad experience. But and so the main character literally graduates from undergrad thinking she's gonna get this big job as a a book an editor or agent or whatever and literally doesn't get the job loses it to her college nemesis and she ends up working with her dad at the luggage uh retail store in the mall <laughs> there's, a, there's a hint of realism and nihilism in that story yeah yeah and basically i had like a parallel experience where um i went to georgia state university uh for my undergrad where i studied film and theater and i had my whole plan to be like some actor documentarian person uh i was going to be some mm. artist artist in some way even music was involved at the time but i, I was like i'm just going to be this artist and then i graduated and i had to move back in with my parents because i didn't have a job <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was very uh, very realistic very realistic <laughs> and just you know had to figure it out um uh, so i got like a, a summer job working um at uh, Stonemont Park in their theme park entertainment division um, as an usher. And then I got promoted to do other things. I was like performing and um, being like a ambassador, gate ambassador, like a fr like basically like a front front, per front person for like the park, for the first person you see. You know, like, hey, welcome to Stonemont Park. Like that was me. <laughs> um, so I was doing that, but I was also working for my alma mater, like working in their um, digital aquarium as like a, hmm. a what's the word kind of, kind of like a not a secretary but like a, a desk attendant or whatever so like if you needed to check out equipment you know oh, monitor okay. the studios and stuff like that so I was doing both of those jobs like back and forth I was like and, digital aquarium how does that work <laughs> yeah so basically it, that it's their fancy word for like if you want to like use the computers to edit a movie or you wanted right, to yeah work on music or you wanted to record um that's what they would call like those sort of uh creative hub stations um at the campuses so i was doing that i had like a lot of like little side gigs <laughs> at one point but <laughs> the main gig i had was that i also worked for um georgia state study abroad office as their uh, like their intern slash um like i guess programs assistant or whatever or coordinator and I met one of my colleagues uh, um, who happened to be an alum of NYU. Um, oh, interesting. I, I think he got a he got a degree in something international studies or something of that nature. But uh, but <laughs> that's where the NYU connection came into play. And 
I told him, you know, he knew I was interested in music and I was like this, you know, this artist. I just wanted to do all this artist stuff, but I also was very pragmatic and I wanted to learn as much about the business aspects of things as, you know, the creative aspects. Because when I studied in uh, film school, I was all about learning how to, you know, coordinating productions and how to actually find money to fund the productions and whatnot. Um, so I was very yeah. much like, okay, yeah, all creative, that's great, but where the money come from? How we, how we going? How we gonna do this? <laughs> How we gonna um, do this? How we gonna do this? And he recommended to me. Um, his name was Casey. I'll never forget him. He was like, you know, NYU has this like music business program, um, mm. with the Steinhardt School. Um, you should check it out. And I was like, okay. And I'm thinking he's talking about like the Clive Davis School because everybody always thinks we're the Clive Davis School. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like literally to this day, people are like, oh, you went to you study music at NYU. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you go to Clive Davis? No, no, <laughs> no, no, I did not. We're actually older than that school. Yes, um, Clive Davis <laughs> is like our little cousin. Yeah, uh, so much, but but we always love our little cousins. We always love our little cousins. It's all family. We it's all love. It's all love. We're older. We're the older. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I looked up the program and it was literally everything I wanted to learn, like music law, promotion and publicity, um, A&R, like all the things that um, I wanted to learn. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to do this. Um, so it was around 2015. Yeah, 2015 when I did the application and did the. I had to do like the essay, like the, basically like your thesis paper or whatever, <laughs> the pre-thesis paper, I would say the research paper, um, the, the application. And I literally applied like on a whim. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I I have to get this. It was like, I want it really bad, but I just felt like, you know, NYU was too big for me. Uh, I always wanted to go to mm. NYU, even as a, a kid. Everybody in my family and friends knew New York was going to be one of the places I lived and I was going to make something of myself in New York. I just didn't know how to get there. Oh, um, okay. But, um, but I always thought if I couldn't do it in undergrad, then I just wasn't going to be able to go. So for me doing it in a master's thing, I was like, eh, let's not even set myself up. Let's not even like get our hopes up. Let's just apply, you know, it, it's it, it's a, a high uh i mean not high like low acceptance rate i guess i would say like a lot of people don't get in so i was like eh, <laughs> i'm not gonna get in it's all good like i'm just gonna apply just to say that i went for it i just i'm just gonna show up and literally within <laughs> three weeks of me applying i got in and <laughs> i i was in disbelief i was literally like like basically i was not in a good space emotionally at that time because you know winter just brings all you know it's just cold and you know all that jazz but i was just like eh, you know still kind of figuring figuring out like what am i gonna do with my life like my parents they have to move out and i need to do something and literally when i got the email because i'm expecting like this you know envelope like you know how we you know in the old days people just send you an envelope and you knew right. if you got the big envelope you got in school if you got the small envelope you didn't get it <laughs> so i was waiting for that, those um signs and then when i got this email saying that i con congratulations i was like huh and i'm reading and i was like that's my whole name wait that's that <laughs> and i was like did i get it and I, I literally went to my mom who was in the kitchen i was like mom can you read this and then she was like okay and she's reading and then her eyes started to get big. And she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You did it. You did it. And I was just like, it's like shaking in disbelief. And I was like, I'm going to New York. <laughs> and then um, like six months later, I mean, I paid the deposit because I had to pay that good old deposit to reserve your spot. Um, but I, I paid the deposit because, you know, I was working and saving while I was at home. And, you know, uh, with the seven months later, I moved to New York City. And got to the program. Wow, what a story. What a story. So you were almost like, you were almost like, oh, okay, let me do this. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'll do it anyway. Right, and right. Yeah. And I, I applied to another program too. Um, it was a master's uh, audio program because I was like, either way, if I go back to school, because I really wasn't trying to go back to school because undergrad was mentally taxing for me. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. like, I could do the courses and, you know, I was like, I was fine academically, but emotionally it was taxing for me. So I was like, I mm -hmm. don't want to do this again. <laughs> like, right. I just don't have any plans to go back to school, even though my family highly encouraged because I was like the nerd in school, like always making mm -hmm. grades. And um, so they just saw me going 
like to a doctorate level. Even to this day, my dad still asks me, "Was like, so when are you gonna get your PhD?" And I'm like, <laughs> "When I get an honorary doctorate from some school." Because <laughs> yeah. who has Ty, time? That, right. Ty, that's not the correct answer. The correct answer is when someone else pays for it. <laughs> I mean, that was the secondary answer too. It was just like, but my thing was like, no, it has to be free, and it's gonna be an honorary doctorate. And then the second would be like, if some pay, someone pays for it, I might go back to school. But I know, like, I, I the school's a lot. But um, but I I knew. I was like, if I go back to school, it was going to be something um, music related or education, probably the two music or education related, because I did have a higher education background, like working in student affairs and whatnot. So it was going to be something of that nature. But I was like, yeah, if it's not those really those two things. And also, I didn't want to take any more tests to get into school. I was like, look, I've done the school. I have my degree. I have my good GPA. What else do you want? <laughs> no GRE or no GMAT. No GRE, no GMAT. Like, I'm not doing that. So, luckily, yeah. oh. NYU didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I took the... Oh, I took the GMATs. Oh, that was brutal. Oh, uh, yeah, no. I just... Me and standardized tests, like, no. Like, I... I I just suck at them. I do well, like, in some fields, but I don't know. I guess it's the pressure of, like, if you don't make this, like, score, then, you know, your whole life plans could be it's kind of derailed in a sense. And I felt that way with the SAT uh, back in high school. So I was like, I don't want to go through that again. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much that person. I'm like, you know, that was painful. I'd much rather not go for that again unless I really want but it. you really want it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's how I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. That's how I got there. Wow, no, that's a great story. Okay, so since you are a uh, self-professed nerd, and I, I can ask you, <laughs> I can ask you the nerd question that I like to ask, which is, what was your favorite class from the program, and why was it your favorite class? Um, so I already mentioned it a little bit, but the law class was actually my favorite class. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the hardcore that's nerd. The, that's the hardcore nerd, man. I got a, I got a, a solid B plus in law, and oh, I hold nice. that with pride because that law class was, I feel like it set me up so much for the future. Um, as far as me navigating the industry, I, mm -hmm. you know, I was very much the person on, uh, I, how do I learn how to not get screwed there was this like right. billboard interview of a bunch of musicians who actually went to school uh i don't know who, i forgot she was a blonde woman i think she was in country i can't remember her name but she said she's like oh i went to school so i know how not to get screwed right and absolutely. i was like and that was like the big draw of me even considering going to any sort of music business programs because like yeah i need to learn how not to get screwed because you, you, I, I know you probably are familiar with the tv one show unsung um, oh yes <laughs> where it's all these unfortunately that all these black talented musicians who go on the show who basically talk about like their career in music and how they got screwed over <laughs> and why you did they disappeared from the face of the earth or whatever or how, uh, you know because we just don't know what happened to them but on the you know under the table they're like oh they had a horrible contract they didn't read the contract um they lost all their money because they you know they didn't have any rights um uh, and you know their touring money ran out because no one really was, you know, seeing them on tour because they weren't creating new material. So right. I was like, I don't want to be them. So I need to learn whatever I can to not let any of those things happen to me. Now, of course, you can't help what you can't help. Um, right, so I absolutely. think one of my professors said, um, everybody gets screwed one way or the other. And mm -hmm. I've had my fair mm -hmm. share of that in, in my career. Uh, yes. But just to know, like, how just I guess to kind of see the um the red flags before you get screwed it's like there's a red flag that's right there don't do that that's a red flag don't do that that's a little bit right. of a yellow so that's 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 still you know touch and go but you know so for me the law class i learned a lot about you know clauses especially that whole perpetuity clause mm -hmm. which you know everyone should watch out for <laughs> because yes. you should never sign things in perpetuity oh <laughs> yes. um, so that well, was well, a big well, thing we won't say we won't say never unless what you're getting for that perpetuity you are okay with you're okay with everyone yes i would edit i would rephrase that and say if you're comfortable with that as far as you're getting a good return on your investment and you know with the whole signing of perpetuity thing then that's that's fine if you feel trusted with whoever you're you're signing that over to yes. then then by all means do that 
I just know for me as of right now, it don't make sense. <laughs> I mean, so, listen, for, yeah. for the right amount of M's, Ty, it might start to make sense. You never uh, know. You know, you know, you know it, it's got to be, it, it, I, I, I still, I'm a little bit on pause, a little bit cautious when it comes to that. Because <laughs> I'm very much the like, no, indie, indie artists need their their rights and all that stuff. I'm very mm-hmm. much like, we can exclusive license. We can, <laughs> we can do a licensing deal. We can do that. Yeah. We can do that. We can do that literally and renew every three to five years. That is totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, it's interesting now with the advent of, you see so many people selling their catalogs for these huge amounts of money. Right. And, you know, I think in a lot of those cases, people are like, oh, that's your whole catalog. But when you start talking about that type of major money for a lot of people's business, it does make sense to do that. So mm-hmm. I don't fault them for that at all. Yeah. And also even with like, you know, um, estate planning with older artists where they're like, yeah, right. um, I'm going to sign over my rights to this label because I've been with this label for so long. We have a great relationship. I trust them that they're not going to, um, when I pass on, they're not going to like try to, um, basically sell my soul literally <laughs> in the afterlife they're gonna do right by me and my music and you know my career um and even do right by my you know descendants you know because as far as like leaving music with or in charge of like in your state of planning like leaving it to your kids or whatnot um that's cool like in theory and like yes you want to like you know leave your kids with or your descendants with something to have but if they don't have like the know-how and how to actually maximize and you know maintain the family wealth so to speak you kind of do need some experts and that is where you know industry people labels publishers right. all that jazz come right. into play so it's a it's a it like i said it depends on the artist it's very much a case-by-case basis but there's reasons for why perpetuity could be in favor for um an artist or a creative in general right yeah I, I like how we got on that little bit of a tangent. That's really cool. So, so then, okay. So then, is that kind of your? Okay, so you finished the program. Yes. Is that kind of your main takeaway you got from the program? Was this taught me how not to get screwed, or was there another main takeaway that you got? From it? Um, the, uh, that wasn't the only takeaway. That was my main purpose, though. <laughs> so I need to learn all the all the fields. I need to learn everything that I possibly can. I might not be a master of all these things. I have like a specific sector that I'm great at that I can master. But it was for me. I need to know various fields and departments of this industry, it's just so. I'm not walking in blind somewhere. If someone approaches me, like a sync agent approaches me, like, hey, I want to use your song in my movie. And I'm like, okay, let's look at the contract. Let's look at, you know, your track record, you know. Like, you know, let's negotiate the deals and stuff like that. So with law, I I learned about, like, you know, licensing periods, and I learned about perpetuity, learned about, like, you know, when it comes to manager, like having a sunset clause, you know, just, you know, making sure all in all that, how do you protect yourself but also how do you negotiate the best deal because you got to give or take somewhere it's never going to be like all in favor of the artist because like the person who is trying to work with you also wants some stuff too so it's like hey let's just make it fair let's just make this very fair but um i did learn a lot about um publicity i learned a lot about um a and r stuff and just how like records come together and how there's some practices within the industry that are very outdated and need to be updated so you know uh go with the times and be of the times uh but just learning a lot about how this industry in general got started um and how like it's you know progressed and um somewhat have staying stale over the over the past Mm -hmm. few decades but Mm -hmm. um but learning basically the overall scope of the industry and having the tools now and the know-how to kind of like okay this is how i think we can change it or at least how i can change it i feel like that was uh my main takeaway is like learn all you can and yeah. then learn how to break the rules now <laughs> <laughs> right so so it's interesting so now let's kind of get into how your worlds are merging and growing at the same time so you <laughs> you are building this knowledge of business by coming to the program mm-hmm. but then also in you is is the artist that yes. wants to create, that wants to that wants to make music. So you graduate from the program. Talk about that experience, and let's bring in kind of the artist piece as it relates to the first job you got and how you started to to navigate your career um, 
in both worlds, meshing both worlds to where you are right now. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> um, so graduation was such a high. I cried right before I got to Radio City Music Hall on the stage with me um, and my classmates. Uh, I We literally <laughs> cried <laughs> like right before we got on the stage because it was like a real surreal moment. Like, oh, my goodness, like it's over. Like we we we, we did it. We <laughs> we got through. And so they called my name across the stage and it's kind of like, all right now what <laughs> and i'm kind of like right back where i started uh, like with the post-grad <laughs> um analogy i was like uh, i don't have a job <laughs> uh, um what do i do uh and uh i'm trying to stay in new york because i don't necessarily want to move back to atlanta i, I came here for a reason uh, and while i was in the program i was making music um i put out my first ep uh mm. called the silhouette in the summer of 2017 so it was the first year after the first year of my um, time in the program mm -hmm. and, and actually worked on it with a um, classmate of mine in the program. Uh, so, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. But it was also like stressful, like recording and going to school. And then uh, I had a day job and then had an internship. It was a lot. <laughs> yes. uh, but and, and, and real quick, what type of what type of music, you know, were you creating at the time? Is it different than what you're currently doing now or kind of just doing that same thing um it's somewhat different now um it, my music definitely took like a a turn in the past few years but i'm still kind of like i'm kind of like a chameleon i'm finding like my different colors <laughs> as i create but um at the time i was making very much uh singer songwriter like pop um rock i want to say alt pop a little bit um so it was it was like a mixed bag because i have like a lot of influences um genre wise so it wasn't like a one size fits all or like this is pop or this is folk or this is uh soul or this is you know r&b it was very much like hey i have one song that's like very singer songwriter carol king then i have this other song that's very like alt pop like 21 pilots <laughs> and then i have this like um folky kind of like Ed Sheeran kind of thing going on so it's like okay so it was a mixed bag at the time but that's where I was like sonically I was like I'm I love all these things and I feel like I can do all these things but how do we like make it like a cohesive thing um and I'm still actually kind of grappling with that as far as like my sound goes because um I'm very much like I like all these things but like how do we make it make sense in a cohesive sound um uh, so still working and building but after graduation uh i moved in with two of my classmates the ones who i cried with <laughs> and, gotta have had, you, gotta have your people there to support you gotta, look they literally called me because i didn't have nowhere to live i had to move out of my um i was an ra2 on campus that's how i was able to stay in new york for so long yeah. and i had to move out because of course i graduated so i'm not an ra anymore and uh, they had an opening in their apartment. They were like, Ty, move in with us right now. And I was like, huh? And I was like, our roommate, she's moving out. Come and move in now. <laughs> and literally within, like all this happened within a week of graduation. I moved, uh, I moved out of my apartment in East Village, a little dorm, moved into their apartment here in Bushwick, which I'm still into this day. Um, and I also was, I played my first a festival uh, called Moby Fest, which is a um, a black queer um, founded organization um, that is like geared in the city to uh, just be of community for black queer people and just to highlight different things and resources and whatnot. And it was their first festival that they did in uh, Long Island City. Uh, so I did like an opening slot there, literally all within the same week. And I was like, oh, my life is amazing. I just got my master's. I'm performing. I'm, I, I have a place to live. <laughs> Everything is great. And then that next week I was like, I have no money. <laughs> what do I do? So I actually went back to my roots in education um, and I got a job. Hmm. Um, at this uh, performing arts school as a camp counselor because my first job ever in life was a camp counselor for kids. <laughs> um, so I went back to that, wow. but it was mostly geared to like being like a teacher's assistant mm. slash camp counselor. So I did that um, for a while. Then I got promoted to like a coordinator role for their outreach department. Um, so I was basically doing a lot of data entry stuff 
and I did that for a couple of years. Uh, that's what I was really doing and working um, on my own music in the, in the meantime. And I put out a second EP called Soul Searching. Nice. And that was more sonically more soulful and more sort of like smooth rock and jazz kind of a thing. And it was it was a cool little um, like detour that I, I took because that's I felt like I was growing in in my voice and uh, maturing in a way and i was also still i was searching i was like i don't know what i'm doing but i'm searching for my soul <laughs> right. oh that's right. really why i that's called the it title. That. that's the title it, it, yeah i was like i was searching searching um <laughs> and and also i was still applying for industry jobs just because oh, i was okay. like i don't want to work in education um i have this master's and even a couple of my coworkers at my at that job i had they were like you have a master's in music business and then why you why are you here i was like well no one's hired. <laughs> it's very, why, very dry out here for jobs. It's very dry. It's very dry in this industry. It's who you know, man. It's who you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's pretty dry, but, you know, I got to eat. So we here. <laughs> right, right. So we're grinding. We're grinding. Um, and I remember we, I, when I uh, saw you again at the um, alumni event, of, uh, I think in 2018 or 19, no, mm-hmm. it was 2018, and we had the same conversation. I was like, yeah. hey, I was like, yeah, like I, I'm working here. You were like, I'm, I'm working in marketing, you know. But you know, we'll get back to the music. And I was like, yeah, we'll get back to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was doing that for a couple of years, applying away, trying to, you know, get it in in where I fit in. Like I would get to like third rounds at some some jobs, and then you know, some people wouldn't even give me the time of day and respond. So it was definitely like just trial and error for like those two years, and then. COVID hit and literally everything shut down. Um, uh, a couple of my roommates moved away. Uh, I uh, was just here, like literally watching everything happen like The Walking Dead. It it, it was a very <laughs> terrifying experience uh, to be very, very um, transparent. And I was like, well, where is money coming from? And luckily, mm. uh, oh, and I got laid off. That was also like, I got laid off. <laughs> right. That's definitely got to be part of the story. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I got laid off. Um, um, so I was very much like, what is happening? Uh, I don't know what to do. Luckily, I qualified for unemployment, so that really kept me afloat. And those stimulus checks, uh, when they came every now and then, I wish they were more frequent, but when they came every now and then, they helped a lot. So, uh, yeah, I was just doing that, uh, holding on to that for a while. Um, But uh, after things kind of, like, subsided, uh, I started to apply for jobs again because I was seeing some openings and whatnot, and... You know, just trying my best, trying my luck. And I uh, applied for this job at Sony Music. Um, didn't think I was going to get it because I've applied to Sony. I've applied to all the big three labels before and never kind of got, I got to a certain point, but never got to like final stages or anything like that. But right. um, I applied to this job and uh, it was a coordinator role and literally um, got a rejection. <laughs> Like within a week, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was literally interviewing actually at NYU for a um, sort of a similar job that I had at the performing arts school, but just for um, uh, one of the departments at NYU. And I was like, in the final stages, they was about to give me the job, and I was like, mm. God, I do not want this job. I'm only taking <laughs> it because I'm only would take it because I need the money. But God, right. you know, I want to be in the industry. You know, I've worked really hard. Because all of my colleagues at the time, they were actually in the industry. They were working at the big three labels. Or they were working in some management com- uh, capacity or a management uh, agency or whatnot. They were working. And I was like this little redheaded stepchild who was just going to get a job. Right. Um, and feeling somewhat bitter about it, too, because I was like, what, what did they have that I don't have? Like, right. um, <laughs> so I was feeling really down. But I was like, look, I just please just get me in the industry. Just. I, I know if I just get in the door, I'll kick it down and do do the best thing I can do, and I'll be fine. Yeah. I just need to get in the door. And so all of a sudden, I get an email, and it was, I, oh, actually, let me go back. I woke up one morning. I just had to pee, and it was early. And something, when I was peeing, <laughs> someone told me, something said, check your spam email. I don't know check what what happened, but it just said, <laughs> check my spam. Why was there an interview request for the job that I currently have. 
<laughs> to to like, hey, can we can you interview for this um at such and such time um in the next couple of days? I when I tell you, my eyes opened up so fast when I got back to my my bed and looked at my phone. I just said, yes, yes, I'm available, I'm available, I'm available, <laughs> and um did the interview. Uh, so I currently work for Sony's legacy label uh, or legacy department um as a release planning specialist. So I basically for those who may not understand, I basically help um, their catalog products get to DSPs. Uh, so I, I'm the guy pressing the red buttons uh, <laughs> to get you know your, your music, music, or one of the guys pressing the red button to get your music to Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all that jazz. Um, so and when, you're, I, and when and when Sony defines legacy. Can you help the listeners understand what oh, that yes, means? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm at work. Uh, so legacy, <laughs> is, <laughs> legacy is catalog music. So any music that is uh, I would say give or take three years or older, um, that's oh. considered uh, legacy or catalog music. So, but uh, to give a more granular example, Beyonce's uh, Lemonade album would be considered a catalog album because it is literally older, three years or older. It's, it's almost seven years older uh, now because we're in 2023. So that's considered a catalog release. Uh, or if it's something, if we like did like an anniversary kind of thing with the album, uh, that would be in our wheelhouse, like the Legacy Department's uh, wheelhouse. Got um, it. But uh, yeah, so I, I interviewed with the release planning um, vice president uh, <laughs> and a director, senior director. And... We talked about like music documentaries and whatnot because I'm a big uh, fan of those. And I didn't hear from them for like three weeks. And I was just like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But I was very grateful <laughs> to even just get to the final stages of, of right. an interview because first they had said no. And then I was like, actually, we like you, but we want to interview you for a different role. And I was like, okay. Mm, and then I was like, okay, okay let's, let's let's see. Like, I, I think I might have something. I think this might be it. And then I got the... Um, the email no i got the call from uh the hr uh rep and i was like oh my god <laughs> i got the job i got the job my roommates uh who were here i was like i work for sony <laughs> i start crying because it was such a a long journey just to even get to like a final stages of a you know interview like any job like the job search is just, is just hard no matter oh, yes. what industry you're in. But for this industry, it's kind of like, man, if you really don't have a, a leg up as far as like, you know, someone who like knowing the hiring manager or, you know, you're really cool with someone who, you know, in, in whatever label structure or just company, whatever, it's kind of hard to get your foot in the door. And even right. though I had some people on the other side who were in these like senior positions or they were just, you know, of good standing, it was still difficult for them to, I guess, sing my good praises or um, just, it was just hard for them just to just kind of like make things land. So it was just like, man, this is really, this really sucks. Yeah. It's uh, one thing, it's one thing to know that person and have that connection, which is great. It's another thing for that person to be able to press the button and get you in. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what I was realizing. I was like, man, like this actually just really hard. Cause now I'm being in that position right. where I, I can somewhat help people like i'll like hey i'll do i'll i'll give a recommendation i'll do what i can but i can't like guarantee anything because i'm right. not the one who presses the button uh right. so it's mm-hmm. yeah knowing that on both sides now it's like it's just it's just really hard to get a job in it but when you're in it it's like oh you're here <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so i i started off actually not even as a specialist but i was a label copy coordinator so i was making the metadata for all like the the music stuff and like from mm. uh the track times to the title names to adding the publishers and making sure the uh, songwriter society is correct and uh, making sure producers and writers are correct and all that stuff. So I was doing that, like literally making the metadata. And then I was promoted um, last year to the specialist where I'm like coordinating all that and managing that. Um, so it's it's been a journey and I'm still making music mm. um, on the side, but it was more so like, okay, look, I need money right now. <laughs> <laughs> so music right. is always making i'm always like writing songs and doing voice memos and stuff and making demos and i put a couple singles out um throughout the pandemic uh but it was like little hey i got some debt and uh i need a job and they, right. they didn't hire me so i'm gonna do this <laughs> and i'm gonna do both right. i'm gonna balance both as much as i can but uh yeah no we we, we uh we, we doing that <laughs> we doing this today you, you know it's so you no know, i love your story and 
one of the main reasons I love your story is because I believe that not everyone, but at times people who are artists and who create music, you know, whatever genre you're working on in the past have gotten almost constrained by this idea that you must be a quote unquote full-time artist. Oh no. And there is shame <laughs> in, in, oh, if you do create whatever it is, it could be music. You could be a director. You could be making pottery, whatever. That if you're not doing that and getting your full-time income from that, then somehow you're not living up to the expectation of the artist. And I'm glad to see over time that that idea is completely dying, that people are pursuing their passions and having multiple kind of streams of work, whether it's generating income or not, that they are pursuing and doing and bringing kind of their whole selves to that. Yeah, no. Um, It is great for me to hear you kind of doing both at the same time and kind of pursuing both at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I, and I, I definitely was one of those people. Uh, when I, when I first graduated, um, my undergrad, I was definitely the starving artist, but living with my parents. (laughs) And even though I was like, okay, yeah, I work, I'm a performer at this theme park. I'm making demos on SoundCloud. That's where I really started doing that and putting covers on YouTube. Like I'm this artist, I'm learning guitar. I'm taking voice lessons. I'm doing stuff. I was still broke. <laughs> I didn't have my own place. I was living with my mom and dad in my childhood bedroom that I grew up in. <laughs> and I was was growing up, I was becoming more of an adult and I was like this is not okay. Um so there has to be like a happy medium of this because it's just not okay. Like of course I would love to, you know, be some superstar and be on stage and be, you know, the award shows, but there's a there's a journey to even get to a certain level before you even get to that. It's like, can I, you yeah. know, there's just, there's levels to this thing. As um, one of my my good friends and fellow alum, um, Nezi, uh, she's an uh, artist, artist as well, and she's always telling me like, there's levels to this. There's just levels. <laughs> and I shout like, out to Nezi. Shout out to Nezi because she always would say that, um, and I was like, I get it, but I'm like, ah, like I don't like that. <laughs> like there's always levels to this, and when the pandemic hit and I, uh, I guess, uh, reluctantly became a starving artist the second time I was like, Oh no, this ain't good. I don't care that I'm like getting money from, you know, government to, I guess, make sure I, you know, don't die. Uh, and I'm not homeless, <laughs> but it was the fact that I am not in control of where my income comes from. And I'm like mm-hmm. dependent on something. Um, and even though we're, you know, we're, we have jobs to be able to make a living. It was more like I'm, actively choosing to do this not like oh i'm relying on someone else to take care of me in a, in a sense and i i just didn't like that feeling i was like i've been a starving artist technically twice and literally where i've like hey i can only afford to pay one bill um or not one bill but i can afford the rent and and the lights but i need to ask my, my mom for grocery money or i need to ask a friend for grocery money or like hey can i you know can i get some of your food stamps you know <laughs> to, to get some food like I've been that in that situation before, um, even during school. When I was in school, I uh, I stayed on campus. Uh, thankfully, uh, was able to find a spot to stay on campus uh, when I was interning, uh, and I didn't have an income because I did my uh, student job uh, was only for the school year, not the summer. So I was literally like, I ain't got no money. Uh, I am literally here on a hope and a prayer, and uh, we're going, we're doing this internship, you know, to sw- to qualify for the program and everything. But I'm like, I don't have any money. Uh, but I'm making music, I'm doing stuff, but I don't have money. So not having right. money for me is like it, it's a stressor. And I honestly say, for me as an artist, having money in my pocket to be able to uh divvy out to to my artistry gives me more of you know a sense of um confidence and peace (laughs) then like oh like i'm just asking people for money or like you know like oh well i can't make this song because i don't have the money or asking like can y'all donate to help me it's like no i'd rather make it happen myself and then if you want to buy it if you want to stream it that's wonderful but i i just you know i've been a starving artist before and yeah it's a it's a pride thing for sure it's like yeah i want to make all my money from my art but in this day and age and this economy 
it's just not realistic. You gotta have like a gig or something because right. you can't make the art if you're hungry and got nowhere to live. <laughs> you gotta right. you gotta be able to sustain yourself. My dad has always, you know, put that over my head. He was like, "Look, if you can sustain yourself, put your clothes in the back, feed yourself, and t- you know, go to the doctor." Then you can chase your dreams, but make sure you got a roof over your head, closing your back, and food in your, in your stomach, and, mm-hmm. and then go forth, be the best you can you can be. But make sure those three things are met, and that finally solidified <laughs> when I moved to New York. I was like, yeah, yeah, th- those things are paramount. So. Yeah, New Yorker, New Yorker definitely train you, so yeah. you understand that this it's not a game out here. It's not a game, y'all. It's not a game. <laughs> it's not a game. Okay, wait, so let's. Let's get a little technical. So as a release planning specialist, what have you learned at that job that has really helped you apply that to your artistry and how you set up your music or, or how you go about administering and organizing your music? If, if anything, has there been any inter, uh, uh, kind of interlapping uh, over there? Um, it definitely for me uh, is just being more organized with the metadata and, you know, just being more organized in the planning of releases. That has been, uh, it's kind of like gave me a nice little shape up because I was very anal already <laughs> about like planning and organizing and releasing stuff. And but it's given me more of a rigidity because being in the label structure and seeing how um, how we release things and how um, when when the DSPs say they need four to six weeks to process your stuff and, you know, get it to playlisters and curators and whatnot it actually takes four to six weeks it's not just you know right. the artists like uh self-releasing it's also for the labels themselves uh uh so it's like everybody's <laughs> kind of like climbing for those spots um like on you know top playlisting or uh, new uh new music friday or whatever um it all goes in with release planning like you have to have your set dates and when you're going to release stuff because if you don't you won't get though you're not guaranteed a window um, you're not guaranteed um, a, uh, a spot on uh, someone's playlist. And that's a, a whole bigger thing. That's not even just release planning. That's like marketing and sales. But on the release planning end, like if you don't have the, this delivered by a certain date, it is not going to go live. It does not matter if you are signed. It does not matter if you're unsigned. That matters. <laughs> and also um, with your um, with your metadata, like getting your, your song number information, your ISRC codes for those who may not know what those are. If you distribute through a um, uh, independent distributor, so like DistroKid or TuneCore, that number you get uh, when you upload your song, it says ISRC and it says UPC code. Those codes are literally how you get paid. <laughs> <laughs> like if you get um, your music synced in a movie, they need those things to be able to get, to get the money and wire it back to you. Those things are very important. And I didn't know that before yeah, i didn't even know that in the program because you know we didn't really have had a a sort of like a distribution class or whatnot or you know to talk about that but being in the right. industry now working in my job i and i now know when i even release music it's like oh yeah let me keep a whole anthology of these codes um on my person just so i know what they are and if um i decide to switch distributors and whatnot I can still keep these these codes and the song right. data, the numbers, the streaming numbers are still going to be the same because they're all linked to this number. So just being more cognizant of the distribution process, numbers matter as far as like um, time frames, like four to six weeks and ISRC codes, UPC codes, barcodes, all that stuff. All of that granular information is actually super, super, super important <laughs> um, in the grand scheme of things. Like that is literally that how people get paid. Uh, and yeah, so I, I definitely have learned a lot about uh, the dis- distribution space uh, working um, in my department for the past couple of years. Absolutely. I, I love your journey, man. I mean, this, it's just great to hear this. And I'm sure people who either want to pursue a degree in the program or are in their own career journeys, even if you're listening to this and didn't go to the program, that a lot of people can relate to your story because it's our story as well and having to kind of navigate and it hasn't been a straight line no. there's been some curves there. but <laughs> it is not good that you are yeah but it's so good to see how you're navigating that so i have two more questions okay these cool. two questions i like to ask of all my guests uh first one of the last two is based on everything we've talked about and just where you're at in your career journey life what are you curious about right now and why 
I'm curious about the plight of the songwriter in this industry. Um, as uh, you probably know, songwriters, um, they really don't get paid um, in this industry, whether you're a signed uh, artist, uh, songwriter, or a publisher, or, or you're just an indie songwriter in general. Like the structure um, in this industry, songwriters really do not uh, get paid. They really can't sustain themselves. Um, but the producer gets paid, the engineer gets paid off rip, um, even the manager gets paid <laughs> off rip sometimes, <laughs> it, depending on what deals they're in or whatever. But the songwriter yeah. who actually makes the song, like you can have a, a, a beautiful record. There's a bunch of great instrumentalists who make amazing records. I know some, they, they make great records and there's a space for that type of music. But for the, you know, for our contemporary music, popular music today, it's all about, it's not even all about it. The song is paramount. It's a very much a 50-50 thing when it comes to music. It's the song and the record. And yeah. the people who make the song, the songwriters, are being mistreated so badly to the point where people are quitting, you know, the practice, the industry, because they can't afford to. Uh, I, like, you know, it's really hard to sustain your, yourself in this industry if you don't really have, like, a, you know, a really good, like, gig. And so for people who really like, I just want to write songs. I love writing songs. I don't plan on being an artist. I just want to write songs for other people. They, there's not a, a true trajectory in like kind of like navigating that space. Um, mm -hmm. And the plight of the songwriter is is very much in the focus of today in my, in my mind, just because you can have all these great records. You can have all these cool little sounds, these little TikTok sounds and, you know, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we all love songs. When, we, when you go to a stadium, and like an artist like cuts out the music and they just singing the song back to you. It's the song. Granted, the music, the record helps make the song come alive and brings it to life. But it's the song that still stays in wow. the end of the day when you leave the stadium or when you're at a baseball game. Everybody's like, oh, you know, catch me at a ball game or something. Like, I don't know that that actual song, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, yes, everybody, absolutely. <laughs> everybody knows that chant, that song, the melody and it's like it's an afterthought for a lot of people, um, industry and outside of the industry. People, you know, this the the state of music uh, uh, right now is kind of in a very, I wouldn't say questionable, but it's just it's it's not being taken seriously uh, in different levels. But more importantly, the songwriter is not being taken seriously. So that's really on my what's on my mind these days is like what can I do to even raise awareness or to do i need to show up at capitol hill <laughs> and you know what can i do like do is what is there signatures is there like forums i need to join or something just because we love songs everybody has a favorite song or like 10 at least top 10 and yeah you've got this beautiful song that you have carried with you for the your entire life you have like a song that's married to a beautiful moment but that person who made that song they can't eat <laughs> And they, mm. and they don't even own the rights to their publishing, um, some more than likely. So it's like they really can't eat. They might get a, a check every now and then. They might pay one bill. <laughs> but not saying they need to be like multimillionaires or anything like that, but just to be able to like, hey, I have a, a, a life. I can live off my royalties. Or I can like live off like, hey, I wrote like five songs today. Um, yeah, I got, I got rent for the month. Like it's, there's no sort of like structure or like a pathway. And, you know, I just feel like that needs to be taken care of. It needs to be taken seriously. And there needs to be mm -hmm. some real solutions to the problem. Absolutely. There is no music industry without the song. Without the song. And <laughs> without the song. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. My final question. Um, again, love to ask all of my guests this. If you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day <laughs> that you started the program, what would you say to yourself back then? Oh, wow. <laughs> With all the knowledge journey With you have now, you, you go back, you go back, and you're sitting there that first day you started, what oh, would you tell man. What would you tell yourself? Oh, I would just say relax. I would say relax. <laughs> I feel like I had so much internally, emotionally going on at the time, I was like, I, I was so, I very much was like, I'm taking it all in. I'm doing everything. I was out here. I was recording in Brooklyn. I was going to places. I was, I was you know, trying to take as much as it is as I can. But I 
I there was times where I just really I just needed to breathe and I needed to relax and not put so much pressure on myself to excel and just really enjoy where I was at. I I really didn't do that. I was very much like I'm on a mission. I got to get this degree. I don't like being in debt, but I'm going into debt for this degree. I got to make an EP. <laughs> I got to make albums happen. I got to meet people. Like I was very much like on a mission. I didn't really get to the chance to like. Wow, you made it to New York City. Like you've always wanted to be here since you were twelve, and now you're—I was twenty-three at the time. Um, but yeah, you're—you you get to—you're here. You got here, and enjoy yourself, and you know, do your thing. Like you're in the city. I—I was—I did that, but I didn't um, stay true, like present in it. I—I I wish I would have relaxed more into the spaces that I was in. I was very much like, I got stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like, yeah, this is nice and all, but like, I need to find a studio. I need to find a producer. I need to find a band. I need to do all these things. I need agents. I need managers. I need to find people. It was all about like, everything is a networking opportunity um, or everything's like, there's, it's work. Everything is a work situation. I rarely actually had fun, fun. It was like, oh, I guess I should have fun now. And if I had fun, it was mostly with my classmates and my cohort. It wasn't like, oh, let me just go out and date or like meet people. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't do anything of that nature as far as dating goes until after graduation. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would have definitely told myself to relax, enjoy yourself, enjoy the fact that you, you made it here. You did everything right as far as like you did the program, you did, you, you did your thing. But relax and enjoy yourself. Be present. <laughs> breathe you, it in a little breathe bit. Breathe it in a little, breathe bit. A little bit. Breathe it in. You are in Washington Square Park, my dude. Like, breathe it in. You know, go out to the club. You know, go breathe. Like, like, no, I got albums to make, man. Nah, I was I have albums to make. Okay, I need to meet Beyonce. I need to get to her level. <laughs> I was very much like, look, I'm on the path. I have to go. Like, this is my ticket. We gotta get. We gotta get, gotta get those ISRC codes. Gotta right. get them ISRC codes right. Okay, I got to get. I got to get. Paid. Got to get paid. We gotta get on some some, some movies. We gotta do some stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely would have told myself to relax, like breathe, breathe. I remember just being in Kimmel too, in the Kimmel Center, just like, okay, don't look trying to. I mean, looking lost trying to find my class because I think I had the A and R uh, class. I think that was my first class. Uh, but yeah, I would have just told myself to. Whew, breathe, relax, relax. Sitting in that desk, relax. Because <laughs> I was, I was not relaxed. Not I was very much like, I need to make an impression. I have to, you know, do things. I have to, just, I have to, you know, overextend myself. There was a lot of that going on. So relax. Mm -hmm. That would have been the thing. Everyone, that is Ty McKinney. Proud alum of the NYU Music Business Program, singer-songwriter. Ty, thank you so much for coming on. It was great to speak with you, um, and it was just great hearing about your journey. Thank you for having me, Bryce. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And that is our episode. Uh, folks, thank you for joining me. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at BryceB88. Uh, we'll have more episodes coming soon. So thank you for listening. Take care and be well. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show. 